0: on movies with Rebecca and Jason. Are you gonna
1: love them or hate them? Here, Here comes, comes the binge. binge. Hey everybody, welcome to The Binge, in which a couple of homos review the latest movie theater releases. I am Jason Leroy.
0: And I'm Rebecca Larte, and we have three movies for you today. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Forsama, and The Queen. And as always, we're going to rate these movies on a three-tiered scale, with Binge It being our highest rating. Consuming moderation means it's okay, but it's kind of meh. And send it back means...
1: Life's too short for that mess. Jason,
0: guess what I saw right after we last taped?
1: What did you see right after we last taped? Was it the favorite
0: again? <laughs> yeah, it was so good. Ah. Uh, the Lion King.
1: <gasps> oh, dear. Now, listeners, you might recall <laughs> that uh, in our last episode, which Rebecca actually sat out in the next room... Uh, she was just about to go see The Lion King, which is part of why she sat in the next room and just plugged her ears, but still heard us talking shit and yelled at us, and then went back to plugging her ears. Mm-hmm, yep. Mm-hmm. Um, Rebecca, uh, you were nervous to watch this movie, were you not?
0: Absolutely, for a bunch of reasons: uh, my emotional health, my physical health. Uh, I was not in a place to be. Uh, I was not in a place to be disappointed or pleased. Mm-hmm, both right. of them would be tragic
1: no no i mean really the movie had the movie was it was a suicide mission this it movie was. was on with you it was not going to win
0: Mm-mm, it could not win
1: for losing and yet did you like it
0: i loved it wow i no. i um told my girlfriend when we left if i had to take a kid now that had not seen either to go see the lion king i would take them to see this one
1: amazing
0: Mm -hmm, wow mm -hmm.
1: so how did the movie win you over despite the kind of snake eyes you had it in uh in terms of how how it just could not win with you
0: yeah i mean the regret is that in retrospect i would have just bought out the theater
1: oh sure
0: um I had to see it in the theater i had to see it in 3d but
1: (laughs) i'm picturing you like trying to like write as like a tax write-off you're like oh yeah i rent out a whole theater for um uh, underprivileged kids let's say (laughs) and it was actually just you sobbing as loud as you needed to
0: that's the problem um right from the opening uh opening shot uh i was sobbing and sniffling through the trailers (laughs) oh god the trailers were so bad (laughs) Um, kids' movies. It's bleak on the horizon. It's bleak. Yeah. Um, the, uh, was it uh, Angry Birds Two is coming? And hey. b- everyone, I, like, the, it was a very small audience. I have to say, it was like maybe ten people in the theater. It was showing oh, in a bunch wow. of theaters. Um, oh, this with was one like of those the night release before,
1: it's like staggered screenings.
0: Um, and which is actually just enough people to be embarrassed of crying, but too few people to like not know who's crying. It was very clear. It was. <laughs> me, one of the Oof. the only person in this row. but anyway, wow. Um, what was I saying?
1: So uh, so you said you started crying right away.
0: Right away. and it, oh, Angry Birds. So <laughs> there were just a few people in the theater and they showed the Angry Birds Two trailer and everyone like every individual group, like all four, uh, including my girlfriend were like, there was a one. <laughs> <laughs> and I said yes and I saw it
1: and I hope you told everybody to listen to the episode of the binge yeah
0: I, has, I handed out our flyers
1: good I vividly remember going to see
0: the movie with you on a Saturday morning at yep. the AMC Van Ness <laughs> which is my favorite way to see a cartoon absolutely uh, if I had seen this one mm. I might still what am I doing Saturday anyway uh so I wish I had bought at the theater because you know from the moment uh that it started I was crying and well, I was glad I was able to compose myself that like, yes, people could tell, but not like in the way I could fully re- like release a cry and mm-hmm. like make all the noises that I needed to make. So if, so it was like, it's like this, you know, this like anxiety of like, oh, like keep it in, keep it in. Like, is something going to, am I going to accidentally make like this, like, like crazy <laughs> noise? And that sounded like a laugh. Sound of my <laughs> cries, you know, what my crying sounds like, but the gasping, sniveling, uh in the quiet theater i was terrified it was going to come out at any time
1: see i thought you were just saying gas when you started say gasping <laughs> no. but it would somehow manifest as just an enormous fart. that's <laughs> then, kind
0: of what if the same anxiety though right
1: oh right yeah here it comes right yeah, it's just gonna come sneak up on me and embarrass that's me why, from all these that's people. why you
0: always rent a whole theater out
1: it is it is it absolutely is and also replace the seats so. always yeah
0: well that's by law
1: yeah uh so Now, I have witnessed you have a number of cries over the years um, to animal films. The very worst one, famously, was Lean on Pete,
0: uh, before which... I I, I got myself on that one.
1: Before which you were so cocky about not caring about horses. Uh,
0: You were, were like, (laughs) being considerate. You're like, oh this and this and the horse and we were like i was like strutting through the lobby oh, just yeah. like i don't give a fuck about horses just
1: just just like foghorn leghorn just sort of just proudly strutting around mm-hmm. like oh, i don't care about nothing nope and then afterward i believe you were quite literally punching your steering wheel um <laughs> from frustrated sobs so that was bad
0: well that was a rough time yes that was a rough time one sure. yes, two I wasn't as prepared. Like I had been like preparing for yes. so long for this one. You wouldn't even watch the trailer. No, I wouldn't. Um, I would not, <laughs> or listen to the songs. Um, but that one just like sure. came out of nowhere, like, and I wasn't ready for the crazy good story and connection between that boy and that horse. Sucker punch. Mm-hmm. It sucker punched. Yeah. This one I was prepared for. I think that helped a lot. Mm-hmm. Um.
1: So if that cry was a ten, what was your Lion King cry?
0: So, so the cry that's actually a. A 10 to 15, maybe, is Okja.
1: Oh, right. Okay. That's unlike anything that's ever happened. I was in my not life. present for that no, one. No, you
0: were not. No. I was home. That's also probably enabled mm, this. Uh, mm-hmm. It went on for hours. Yeah. Called uh, so off work then, the next day. I think I did. Uh, <laughs> Lean on Pete was like an eight. Mm-hmm. This was like a. Oh. Um, Zootopia was also like an eight. Oh. This was a seven.
1: Okay. So you cried harder at Zootopia. Yeah. Interesting. See, now I think we watched that together, but I don't remember that being a big cry I, for you. I didn't.
0: You. I didn't. I watched it uh, with um I watched it with somebody else during the day. I oh, think before, okay. before or, after it. We watched, or after we watched it. Oh, I no. see.
1: All right. Uh well, so you were a big fan of the Lion King and you um, if given the choice, say that you would bring a new viewer, a child perhaps, to see This version instead of the original version,
0: everything works. Everything works perfectly. Yes, I uh, the um, adult Nala is not the best uh, use of the animal, (laughs) but other than that, that one character where the mouth doesn't quite work um, (laughs) and the voice acting.
1: Oh, we are really tempting the beehive Mm -hmm. on the show these days. Ladies (laughs) and
0: gentlemen, everything else works so well. This is like the movie that I always dreamed could happen. Like. It's animals that are adorable that have feet that are cute and funny and have feelings and it's like the world I want to live in so badly.
1: Not since Novitiate. Have you felt has <laughs> <laughs> your dream journal so thoroughly been mined for a for a feature film? Not
0: since Joanna Newsom saying the Muppet song in the Muppet movie have I been like Someone is reading my dream journal.
1: <laughs> and so you disagree with the critics that suggested that the animals went into an uncanny valley territory it where the eyes were perfect. not expressive enough and all that stuff.
0: They were perfect. I love them. I love the eyes, the mouths, the voices were amazing. The way they play, they like like played with each other. Mm-hmm. Simba playing with uh, Mufasa, Aww. the way they rumble around. Uh, it was it was sublime.
1: So cute uh yeah i i generally liked it too so i feel like we're on the same page on this one Uh, and i'd also like to point out so on the last episode i at least once possibly repeatedly called mufasa mustafa
0: nice job jason
1: um and then stephen colbert did the same thing on his talk show uh the same week uh while interviewing a member of the cast so i felt at least in good company Mm -hmm. uh, with other white guys who mess up names nice so uh well that is fantastic thank Mm -hmm. you for your review uh my favorite segment on the show is always rebecca's later reviews (laughs) i always look Mm -hmm. forward to those i'm glad we just got to have one um especially because guys uh after this episode we are taking a little bit of a break we are but not from each other we're taking one with each other
0: doesn't that sound like a terrible idea
1: because (laughs) you know life might be too short for that mess but you know what it's not too short for literally two cruises in one year because <laughs> uh because if you remember scott and i went on a drag cruise earlier this year which feels about 15 years ago mm-hmm. and uh and now we are going on another one with rebecca and mm-hmm. her girlfriend and uh, former guest of the show heidi mm-hmm. so uh we are going to be going from barcelona to sardinia uh for a music cruise featuring bands like bell and sebastian and yola tango camera obscura you know that kind of band and uh and if we are lost at sea, let us just say we love all of you and mm-hmm. thank you for always listening.
0: Except that one, you know who you are. You know exactly who you are.
1: F- fun muffins. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, um. Oh, I forgot you. <laughs> I forgot that you were fun I muffins. I am
0: fun muffins. Right. Um, I thought we were going on a two person boat ride off the, ma- fa- ma- off the Amalfi coast, <laughs> just you and me.
1: Oh, is it a town of Mr. Ripley thing? Yes, it is. is.
0: It- <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize there were going to be all these bands and other people, but okay. I mean, it just I'm, makes it more difficult.
1: I am Matt Damon in this scenario, right? Yes. Okay, <laughs> because you do dress better than I do. I am richer. So, uh, so yes, and then just imagine me showing him, being like, "Yes, I'm Rebecca," <laughs> and so oh, he oh, me shipping like shipping
0: Olarte's, mm, right? <laughs>
1: I'm like, look, my glasses. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, so that's what we have coming up. So this will be our last new episode for at least a few weeks. Um, but we've
0: never <laughs> what, traveled together in this way.
1: No, we have not. We've never, we've never done, I have never done international travel really with anyone except for Scott. Um, except for, I mean, I not outside North America, I should say, mm-hmm. uh, this'll be, this will be a first. Wow so uh yeah we're all going to be sharing an airbnb together in barcelona for about six days or so before we go on the cruise and uh it's going to be a really revealing time mm-hmm. what happens when people start getting polite and start getting really angry with each
0: other <laughs> so maybe we'll make a microphone
1: yeah yeah we may or may not record an outpost while we're there uh but we'll see it- in the meantime, we've got three more movies to get through uh, before we take our little hiatus. And uh, the
0: first one is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. A faded television actor and his stunt double strive to achieve fame and success in the film industry during the final years of Hollywood's golden age in 1969 Los Angeles. You know who has something interesting to say about 1969 Los Angeles, don't you? Who's that? Joan Didion. <laughs> Your favorite?
1: Oh my god! Yeah, I recently uh, uh, shout out to the listener on Twitter who uh, who recently reached out to me to uh, to to appreciate my my wit uh, when we were talking about that quote. That was a bot and about (laughs) well, it's a very sweet bot Mm -hmm. um, about how the sixties ended because that's what decades do, Um, (laughs) but. Uh, yes. Amazingly, there's not a single... Joan Didion quote a reference in this movie. Wow! Oh, it's because she's a woman. Yep. And uh, Tarantino's uh, frame of reference simply doesn't extend to women. Uh, so
0: <laughs> he quotes her husband. <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> He's like, you know, who always gets forget me? Who gets slept on? It's cr- criminal, criminal. Her husband, brilliant, brilliant writer. And, <laughs> talk about him? No one, no one ever does. Uh, so That's a good uh, impression. Thank you. Uh, so uh, yeah, there's no there's no Didion in this. This one's all QT from beginning to end um
0: Let's let's do a quick check. We haven't done a QT movie yet. No, we Um, haven't. I was thinking
1: about that. It's been a while because I did a review of the Hateful Eight that I just wrote, (laughs) like a
0: fucking caveman. (laughs)
1: Because the Hateful Eight is the only one of his movies that's come out since we started doing this show, and it was like, and it was in like it was like the end of December, and I think we were like, I think you were traveling or something, and so I'm like, well, I don't want to like not review the movie, Mm -hmm. so I just wrote up uh, old school review. That I'm very happy with. It's still up on the website, but but uh but yeah, and, and I think I reviewed like Django Unchained and Inglorious Bastards back in the day on like spinning platters. But this is the first time I was doing a Tarant. Well, yeah, a Tarantino movie on the old uh pod. Okay, so. let's just do
0: just a quick uh like baseline check in here. Your favorite Quentin Tarantino movie?
1: Yeah, uh Inglorious Bastards.
0: Your least favorite?
1: Django Unchained.
0: Um your overall like Top five words that come to your mind when you you are asked, "What do you think of the director, Quentin Tarantino?"
1: Oof, um, indulgent, blowhard, egomaniac, overrated, uh, influential.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> so th- okay. that's just that's just uh, yeah, off off the off the top of the old noggin. Yeah, we
0: saw Hateful Hate together, didn't we? I feel like I remember seeing. Uh, yeah, we did. It was like the seventy millimeter. Uh huh. But then we couldn't record or something. Anyway,
1: right? Yeah, for whatever reason, we weren't able mm-hmm, to do a show mm-hmm. about it. And um, and yeah, we probably did watch it together. This time, the screening was in thirty-five millimeters, so it was in literally half the millimeters.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that one was also thirty-five millimeters. I think it's seventy might no, be standard. I
1: Why? think it, I think it was seventy because I think they were doing like a whole like road show thing of the movie in seventy oh, millimeter.
0: Next one, it's just going to be um, twelve millimeters. I know. To watch it's it, it on just a... super eight. Yeah,
1: I don't watch that. Uh, And hilariously, we watched it. um, They screened it for us last night. It was at a theater in San Francisco that's like a really small old movie house. And they brought someone in to brag to us from the theater about how they had just restored their 35 millimeter projector. And so they were very excited to show us the movie in a little 35 millimeter print. Wow, she
0: sounds terrible.
1: (laughs) However... Uh, they only apparently just had the one projector because they warned us ahead of time that there would be two five minute intermissions
0: oh to change the reels while
1: they changed the reels nice uh, so and the movie is actually the movie is like 20 minutes shorter than the hateful eight it's like 160 really? minutes so, yeah, it was a movie just over two and a half hours um and they had a, they we had two intermissions
0: <laughs> oh, wow, uh
1: so it really started to feel eventually like uh like we were just never going to leave that our new li- life was just to watch this movie in like forty five minute chunks for the rest <laughs> of our lives <laughs> um so yeah, uh what about you, Rebecca? What's your favorite tarantino
0: uh kill Bill least favorite uh, oof, I'm looking I'm thinking now Mm-hmm. um so many. <laughs> um probably Django.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I would say that I liked all of them up until Django. Like he did mm. not he did not make any movies that I disliked until Django. And then yeah. I and then I really disliked Django. And then I really disliked the Hateful Eight. Mm,
0: right, yeah, yeah. Um I mean, of course I love Pulp Fiction. Right. Um Oh, so the, what are five words to describe
1: sure let's do it
0: uh violent misogynist clever <laughs>
1: <laughs> but clever about it
0: <laughs> <laughs> not no he's not clever about that um style i don't know You know it's like it's mm. everything, but that that's the word right just the right. most bold style mm-hmm. um and uh, unforgettable Alright.
1: Well, we've played a word association game. Great. <laughs> so that's done. Now
0: tell me what you think of me in two <laughs> words or less.
1: A Beautiful baby. Ah!
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: okay. So Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Uh, this is his ninth film. I saw it pegged earlier as his midlife crisis movie. And that resonated with me. I think that's mm. accurate. I think that's accurate. Uh, this It feels like probably the most personal movie that he has made um, in the sense that we have a main character here, Rick Dalton, who's played by Leonardo DiCaprio, uh, who is sort of like Tarantino. He is uh, an established middle-aged white man who is facing his own imminent irrelevance mm. and uh, in the film industry. And uh, so the this, this movie is really... Uh, it's not especially like his other movies, I would say, at least in large chunks of it. Like there's, there's obviously, there's a lot of things about that are like his movies. You know, we have like a, a really, you know, sprawling ensemble cast, lots of like interesting casting choices popping up in small parts. It's like his movies in the sense that there's a lot of close ups of lady feet. Mm-hmm. Uh, Margot Robbie, Margaret Qualley and Dakota Fanning all shove their feet directly into the camera. Uh, throughout the course of the film, uh, you know, he gets to basically recreate nineteen it's this, 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 this fantasy of nineteen sixty-nine Hollywood um, with every centimeter mm-hmm. of detail and obsession that you would expect from him. Um, you know, just lots of, you know, like just, you know, nothing obvious, nothing, nothing easy, all just super deep cuts for every single music cue, every movie poster. Um, you know, everything. It's all just his, he's just jerking off. He's just jerking off the whole time. Um, so those parts of it feel like him, but otherwise the first two hours plus of this movie feels like definitely the slowest thing he's ever done. In some ways, the most mature thing he's done. Um, it feels very, it feels very melancholy. It feels very kind of wistful, um, and these are all traits you might be thinking at home that could also be used to describe Jackie Brown, mm, mm-hmm. uh, which I haven't actually watched in probably like over 20 years. So I, have been really wanting to revisit it for a long time, but Jackie Brown at least kind of had, it was very plot driven, mm. you know, it was based on an Elmore Leonard novel and, you know, and ultimately it was the sort of crime caper. Whereas for most of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, you're kind of wondering like,
0: what is this about? Mm, yeah, I mean, I feel like that was the, that's the vibe seeing the trailer, mm-hmm. and uh, I thought that was intentionally vague.
1: Right. But um, it seems
0: like it's just, movies. It
1: yeah, it's a very, it's a very meandering kind of movie, and I would say that it really kind of, the vast majority of it really lacks that kind of Tarantino electricity mm. uh, that you associate with his films. Uh, even the sort of like the, the big set pieces that kind of still populate most of the first two plus hours, there's not really a single one of them that I would point to and be like, Oh, that was so great. And I feel like even with hateful eight, there are parts of it that I point to and be just like, Oh, that was fantastic. Mm -hmm. Most of them involving Jennifer Jason Lee. Yes, of course. Um, Django, maybe less so. Um, Mm. but, but still, you know, like I got to, you know, give it up for, the entire scene at DiCaprio's mansion in the end. And, you know, Mm. just like the tense dinner party and, you know, all that. So this, this movie kind of doesn't really have that. Uh, it definitely has a sort of mounting power, um, or at least a sense of dread that comes from the gradual introduction of the Manson family ranch spawn movie ranch. And that's, and that's, and that brings me to, uh, the fact that we were all asked to not spoil the movie, right before it was uh, Mm. screened Um, and I I read a bunch of stuff out of can where critics were similarly hamstrung by you know the sort of just gag orders they were put under to not reveal stuff about the ending which should be enough to tell you that the movie does not end the way you might expect it to okay Um, because you know I think you look at the time frame and you look at the characters introduced and the real life pieces of it and you're like oh, okay, well, I see where that's going because Leo DiCaprio's character lives directly next door to Roman Polanski and Sharon Tate. Mm. Um, Sharon Tate's played by Margot Robbie. Uh, In what has been largely criticized, or at least coming out of a can, there was some criticism that it was kind of like a wordless performance. Mm, mm -hmm. Um, You know, trying to mount this narrative that Tarantino is like, you know, the, this you know sexist filmmaker who doesn't you know give women things to say which i think is like his films themselves largely disprove kill bill um, you know kill bill <laughs> Although uh, generally brown. world
0: we kill bill now that i think about it right yeah sure
1: uh jackie brown uh inglorious bastards gave us not one but two melanie laurent and diane Kruger. Uh, that was amazing
0: yeah that is a great movie
1: that's a really great movie um so uh marco robbie is almost going for what feels almost like a more of a silent film style performance in this movie where when she's on screen her energy and her expressions just fill it with light um, so even when she's not speaking it's still kind of like a star turn interesting so and she and she does have dialogue but she does not have any big dialogue scenes the way the guys do so uh, so so that's all going on and there's a whole thing you think is going to happen in the end and you know in, and then things happen in Tarantino's own particular way I'll leave it at that, but I will also say about that. And he, he's such a troll with the critics. He really, he, he's so disdainful of critics. He has done something in the end that begs you to discuss it in a review. Um, but then basically, like been like, you can't. Sorry, buddy. I will say that for me, the ending undid most of the goodwill I had developed toward the movie
0: Ooh. up
1: until that point. Um, because it is like, you know, I, I'm just kind of going on this ride with him, just as very kind of leisurely, uh, you know, elegiac kind of journey with these characters, at the tail end of the 60s at the tail end of Hollywood's old studio system days. Um, and, you know, and even like, yeah, the, you know, the Manson bits was like, you know, was adding a bit of like edge and menace and stakes to what was otherwise just a kind of almost borderline comedic um, sort of showbiz story about you know yeah this flailing you know actor who is just no longer wanted and is feeling all ego about it uh so but the thing that he does in the end of this movie i feel is borderline distasteful wow so i feel like all it's, right so it's it's yeah so once once you all go out and see it then we can talk about it directly so, but for now, I'll just say that the end of the movie is, um, is, is 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 to me is is kind of a big problem and is 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 disrespectful and distasteful. Um So, and also, even though I think that he is not actually guilty of not have you know not being able to write a good female character, I do think he's guilty of an increasing um, fixation on incredibly grisly man on woman violence played in a kind of a glib almost triumphant way mm. that comes to bear in this final sequence and uh and it also um even comes to bear earlier in the film we have there's a reference to early on in the film brad pitt plays leo's um stunt double turn kind of driver slash only friend and um and they're both just kind of wallowing together in like the you know, waning days of their career, not getting work and just, you know, drinking and getting bloated and and um and there's a reference in one scene to Brad's character having murdered his wife and gotten away with it. And um and it's sort of brought up as a matter of, of joke. And then we get this flashback to when it happened and they don't show the actual murder, but we see everything leading right up to it. And essentially it's like Oh, look, his wife is such a nag. Ha, ha, ha. He's going to kill her because she's a nag. She deserves it. And then we cut back, and then it's like never really revisited. Oh. Uh, So this this is the thing about the movie that I would say generally turn me off. It feels very make Hollywood great again.
0: Okay. Yep.
1: It feels very like there's a lot of sort of like greatest generation chest thumping. Mm Mm-hmm that goes on in the movie. Even though I was trying to think, I'm like, would these characters even be considered great Generation? They're probably on the cusp between that and Boomers because these guys would have been born in like 1940, like early 40s, late 30s. Um, so not fighting in World War II, um, but you know, middle age by the end of the 60s. And it's sort of like, the, it's just very disdainful of change, all the different changes mm, that are coming mm-hmm. their way. Uh, there's also a scene that I would consider to be kind of openly racist, uh, in which Bruce Lee, who you would think would be an idol of Tarantino's is turned into a laughing stock in a scene where he challenges Brad Pitt's character to a fight and is humiliated. What? Yeah. Uh, that's bizarre. And then there's just like a lot of talk about the hippies. Um, Mm. and, uh, you know, with reference specifically to the Mansonites, hmm and uh and it sort of, you know, disregards them and makes them a laughing stock as well. Um, even though like we know that they caused very real horrifying harm, uh, the film basically discredits them and turns them into like a, a laughing stock as well, and shows Brad Pitt kicking their ass. And it's just kind of like, what is this exactly? Mm. Um, so it just feels like it's a very uh yeah, it and, it and it doesn't have any perspective. It'd be one thing if it was like if it had a perspective on these two just like middle aged privileged white guys who are allergic to change and just want things to be the way they used to be and don't like new things and new people and new ways of thinking. Um, but the movie seems like it's right in there with them, um, mm-hmm. and it very mm-hmm. much like takes their side on what's going on. Um, it, you know, up to and including this final scene, which plays out like this, just grotesque farce um so it's really it left a kind of a bad taste in my mouth
0: wow okay uh compare it to django taste
1: um i mean django was uh it's so hard to talk about without giving away what sure. what he does um but i will say that you know in terms of when in terms of the times that tarantino has like played revisionist historian this to me is the most offensive okay um, and I have a very specific reason for why, but I can't say it. Fair enough. So,
0: so you think you you of the two, you would say this one's harder to watch? Um, I mean, I guess
1: Django to me was okay. I think the thing that Django did that was unforgivable was the um was the uh, the Mandingo fighting scene. Mm-hmm. Unforgivable, unforgivable. He should never put that in a movie. No, like that was just so. And I get that he was trying to show the brutality. But that went so far; uh, yeah. that was beyond unnecessary. Um, so yeah, so I, I think that you know Django is is a pretty straightforward revenge movie. Yeah, Jessica like Inglorious Bastards was a revenge movie. Jessica like Blades was a revenge movie, and all of his movies have been revenge focused. Yeah, this movie is actually not. Uh, that's one of the things. This that, one of the ways this movie is different. Um, it is not focused on revenge at all. Hmm. Um, except for at the end, it kind of just turns into this like general kind of vengeance um against the change, against mm. the hippies, against, you know, uh as opposed to, you know, um against history's great tyrants, the way that right. the last few right. films were. So it's 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 bizarre. It's, it's probably his weakest film story wise. And uh, and there really is um yeah just a lack of that electricity like you still are aware that you're watching the work of of a great director mm-hmm. just in terms of you know the shots uh you know the editing the tone the mood like the performances all these things check out um but i feel like it's his weakest script um and oh i don't want to do I? i don't want to say weakest it's just his most kind of restrained um his most kind of um subdued uh boring. script kind, i mean ingu of course turned me within three minutes and was like this is boring um <laughs> i mean and uh and i i was not bored i was not bored because i was like where is he going with this where is he going right. with this but then that's the thing once it got to where he was going with it i was like oh i don't like that at all
0: mm-hmm. okay so um i'm gonna two two quick questions and yeah. then i won't be able to take the suspense anymore mm-hmm. um lena dunham oh right luke perry
1: yes so Lena Dunham, uh, has one, she's in one scene. Uh, a lot of people in the movie are in just one scene. Uh, she is on the, she plays a character named Gypsy at the Manson ranch mm. and she is sort of like a, sort of a maternal figure on the ranch. She, um, her scene is largely with, uh, Brad Pitt and a character named Pussycat who's played by Margaret Qualley, who is the daughter of Annie McDowell, who was the lead of Novitiate. Oh yeah. huh. Um, and, uh, and it was, it was, it was kind of funny watching Brad Pitt have like this whole flirtation with Margaret Qualley thinking like, aren't you literally the exact age of her mother?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but, uh, so, and the thing about Margaret Qualley too, is that she looks so much like Allison Williams.
0: Oh, mm-hmm. yeah.
1: I was like this feels like an outtake from girls because
0: because <laughs> like <laughs>
1: Lena is very much like doing that I only, she probably wasn't even scripted to do this she just like immediately is just like just like canoodling with her and just kind of like holding her hand and mm-hmm. like and just kind of like hugging her and and just being like mama bear with her and it just like this feels like every photo call for girls I ever <laughs> saw in the entire run of it so I mean she's there I didn't mind her I don't hate Lena Dunham so I wasn't like boo hiss when she showed up mm-hmm. I think I did her a few people go ugh uh, it's, 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 <laughs> it's, it's always like
0: it the thing though when you know uh even the one of the best episodes of saturday Night live um in the past decade was the one where she guessed it and it's like the joke is that she's always herself right. and, like she's unable to not be <laughs> right. like you know like kind of have that like fast talking uh uh not incessant talking kind right. of, um, very modern way of speaking. Right. How does that,
1: well, she, I would say she definitely slows down her, uh, the speed of her delivery. And she also has to try to look kind of menacing, which is interesting to see her try on, mm. um, okay. because the scene that she is in is kind of one of the big centerpiece scenes of the movie, you know wherein you know Brad Pitt just sort of like blithely accompanies this hot girl to where she lives and it turns out it's like a place that he used to shoot um, westerns because it's this ranch they use as a set and um, and so he goes there and he wants to go see the guy who owns the ranch who is an old friend of his and then like all the Manson girls are trying to like stop him from going into this house gotcha so yeah so like things are escalating and lean is like mama bear who's kind of like watching everything like a hawk and like seeing trying to figure out what's happening and Mm -hmm. if he's a threat and what to do so yeah so it
0: doesn't devolve into like and then I don't know well, yeah. I not I can do picture, right. but you, you sure <laughs> can right
1: she was like I'm so glad you're here I was just soaking <laughs> my vagina uh, but, but I hope that's okay um, and I am nude just so <laughs> <laughs> and that's just how I do things at a ranch you know it's Sunday so no, <laughs> I, no I haven't heard her voice very much recently Luke Perry um, has a really quick appearance um, on the set uh, as a character on a uh, western TV show that um leo is shooting and he doesn't do much but he's there and you see him and you feel sad Mm -hmm. and you appreciate just what a great looking star he was with such a great presence
0: what's uh what are you giving this one jason
1: it's a consume
0: oh okay all right then uh the uh the master directory uh makes up for a lot then huh
1: Oh, did you think I was going to say send it back? Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, it's a consume because like it really. Yeah. For the first two plus hours, like I did really kind of appreciate what was going on. And in the, in the end is is I think horrible. Um, But uh, but yeah, not enough to actually make me be like,
0: send it back. OK, because so. I was at a point where I'm like, maybe I just won't give it my money and I'll just ask you what happened after this.
1: Right. Yeah. No. I mean, I, I you know. Yeah, it's a consume. So like, I'm not saying you have to go out and see it. I'm not going to say don't bother. Like, it's worth watching, but, you know, it's mm. not, like, a best of the year title. Okay.
0: Well, it's rated R for language throughout, some strong graphic violence, drug use, and sexual references. Our second movie this week is for Sama, which is our pick of the week. Both an intimate and epic journey into the female experience of war, the film tells the story of Wad Al-Khattab's life through five years in the uprising in Aleppo, Syria, as she falls in love gets married, and gives birth to a daughter, all while cataclysmic conflict rises around her. We saw this one together. We did. Um, this was uh, a, a wonderful showing where there was a QA and a with the director um, and her husband mm-hmm. um, and the co-director afterwards. Um, it has been such a long time since we'd seen a moving documentary.
1: she's kidding (laughs) Uh, we we saw one just last week uh, and that we will be reviewing next month on the show when we're back we're back from Spain Um, Rebecca this was an emotional one
0: yes was it for you
1: it was um, I still didn't cry um, Mm, just mm -hmm. because I still just don't do that Um, but I thought you did for a moment I felt like a monster that I wasn't crying um, as usual Mm -hmm. but yeah this is guys this is so you know, I was interested in this movie. Um, you know, I, I signed us up to watch this movie because there was a reception afterward. No um, and aside from the reception, um, it seemed really interesting. You know, it's we have this woman, uh, Wad, who is the uh the co-director and she's she's the filmmaker of it. Mm-hmm, she mm-hmm. is she was a you know a a citizen journalist in Syria, in Aleppo. And um starting in twenty twelve ish, around the time of the Arab Spring, she began filming every day. Um, just showing life in Syria during this moment of remarkable uprising rebellion against the Assad regime. Um, but then uh very quickly the sort of joy and potential and promise and new life that she'd been capturing is turned into horrible shrieking death by uh the Assad regime working with Russia to crush the peaceful uprising of aleppo and her camera shows us in absolutely unsparing unflinching detail the very human toll of the of the mortar attacks of the bombs of the cluster bombs of all the different ways that um that uh, aleppo was under siege uh and she and her husband who was a doctor um refused to leave even after she gave birth uh, because they felt like they were part of the resistance and it would be a betrayal of everything they stood for to abandon uh, their home. And uh, the movie is framed as a love letter to her daughter, to Sama, that's uh, the name of the title, uh, who she gives birth to during the filming. And uh, to try to explain to her, to try to make it right, Well, you know, not make it right, but just to try to help her daughter understand how it could be that she lived her first years in a war zone. This was, I mean, this was, there was, there was so much tough stuff in this movie to see. Um, it, lots of, you know, we're talking real footage of, of freshly killed people, including children, babies, everything. And, uh, and I know, you know, this is stuff that I don't generally see. I'm not exposed to. Um, I know for professional reasons, you've been exposed to some upsetting footage in your day. Uh, so it was less jarring to have to see this. And I almost hesitate to talk about it because I feel like it'll make people not want to watch it to go too much into how horrifying the footage is.
0: I feel like that's what makes it everyone's responsibility to watch it. Mm. And I think that, uh, as you mentioned, I have seen more uh, graphic uh, footage probably than you have but Mm -hmm. when it's contextualized around um people that you uh are getting to know and identifying with and following along it's 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 different Mm. and um it almost and maybe that's why i was uh, i was also very emotional is that it makes you reflect back on the other things you've seen and Mm. like you know think about all the the story around what those moments that existed Mm. um it's a very unique situation to have somebody that is very poetic and uh very brave um to you know take a camera into places where that's a problem um where you know holding a camera as opposed to like covering your head when there's like a shell going off that like her footage her husband's bravery to continue to open hospitals in like the middle of aleppo of all places um as you know Troops are surrounding them and and getting closer and know their information. And he continues to speak to the UN and to the media. Those are all like, I, I don't know, brave almost sounds patronizing, but it's mm-hmm. like exactly what it is. Like, right.
1: I wish there were a stronger word.
0: Right. Yeah, but um, they're
1: brave. They're courageous. Like they, when they walked in at the end of the movie, it felt like we were witnessing a miracle.
0: Yeah. It felt like we were like, like seeing, I don't know. I want to say celebrity, but like celebrity for being like, Amazing people, right.
1: and even the fact that they were just still alive just felt like yeah. a, it. Just felt like a miracle that yeah. they were still alive, and they were just were able to just walk right in. And they're also, you know, they both, you know, and they make great subjects for the documentary. Also, in the sense that they just like, you know, like they're they're unassuming. Oh, they they're don't take, so incredibly they relatable. They don't take themselves seriously. There's there's no like they're just very sort of like just humble about what it is that they're doing.
0: The entry point that you have into the situation is like anyone who is like, I'm going to start filming my friends at college. Right. And like he had, he had just graduated from school. It, mm-hmm. they, these weren't she like, I'm like going to sign up with doctors without borders. Right. And like, I have like a, yeah. a, a, you know, a, and, and not that there's anything wrong with those folks, but no. like, um, it might, they might, people like that with right. might these be are, harder to identify these with. These are
1: locals. These are, you know, these are just local Syrians, uh, you know, in, uh, in Aleppo who are, yeah, it just, it comes to them like they, they just live there. Mm-hmm. And I think that's part of what makes this such an amazing movie is that it really has everything that you could ever want from a giant sort of wartime historical romance almost mm-hmm. in a way. Yeah. Because it, it has everything, you know, Like because we have a love story. You know, mm-hmm. the two of them meet and fall in love kind of on camera. When the film begins, they're not a couple. And um, and so we see the story of their love mm-hmm. and we see them marry. We see them start a family, get a house, get a house, lose a house. Uh, we have a you know, couple friends right, have a couple friends, like have professional friends like just go out and and engage with the community that they live in um you know, spent yeah, and then uh and then we see them persevering in the face of unimaginable horror and violent oppression and it's it's just everything it's everything you could want from just like a big red-blooded uh kind of wartime romance except for it's all real and also it feels very borderline disrespectful to just call it a wartime romance because like it's like we're it, 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 you you just feel so weird walking away afterward having witnessed so many deaths um and feeling like there you almost have like the sacred responsibility to like look in the face of all these people also i think war is
0: the see. wrong word this isn't a war this is an attack mm. Mm,
1: mm-hmm. This
0: is a government's attack on its own people. This is right. not a war. It's not a civil war. Mm, um, mm-hmm. It's a, it's a it's an attack on, on no, people. No, that's true. Um, yeah. I'm there's currently a family staying with me with with a with a child who's like one, and um, I had spent the weekend with with them in Yosemite before we, we watched this and just like watching parents watch a child and and you know mm. be so anxious and nervous about like you know don't run in traffic, don't touch right. this, don't touch that. And then you think and then you're like, oh, my God, you know, being a parent seems so hard. It seems so impossible. Like, how how do you be brave enough to do that? Mm -hmm. And then you see this and it's just like, how 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 do you do that? How do you hold a baby while there's shelling happening in your apartment and like be there for yourself and for them? Also saving people and and you live in the hospital like these people have have done is is just uh, so admirable and so. Uh, I don't know. I don't even know. I don't. I don't, I don't have the words. I don't have no. words.
1: No, it's, it's it's a binge. It though it, it is, and it also, you know, you, you can't watch it without thinking again. Just such angry thoughts about our president and our policy, his policy about refugees. Yep. Yeah. Essentially, not believing that that exists, that there is such a thing as a refugee that right. shouldn't be recognized. Um, you know, closing all ports for people seeking asylum. And, you know, and, you know, and there was such conservative bullshit hullabaloo about the Syrian refugees, um, you know, not not only here, but in Europe as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And to actually see with your own eyes, this very first person boots in the ground view of what the exact situation was that people were fleeing and you even, you know, just through watching this movie is like only 90 minutes long. So you're not spending tons of time with the sort of the peripheral characters in their lives, but right. just, but just like looking at someone's face while they're smiling and laughing and looking at their kids. Suddenly you just like, you're like, I want them to be okay. And I want to yep. help them move wherever they need to move. Yep. Um, and so it just made me just angry all over again, mm-hmm. um, at the, at the complete inhumanity of our current situation. And to think that like, and what they're going, th- what they're going through in Aleppo, was in some ways unique, but in many ways not. You know, no, to, many the, ways the, the, not. There are many circumstances for people from all over the world who this are seeking. It's
0: happening ass- right now in his lip, like
1: mm-hmm. you know, people seek asylum, and for for very very real reasons that we largely have the comfort to never even understand. Yep. Um, and so, yeah, so just another another fuck you uh, on that one.
0: Uh, the movie is unrated, but it would be R for extended graphic real life footage of dead and dying including children. Um, Last movie of the week is The Queen. In 1967, New York City is host to the Miss All-American Camp Beauty Pageant. This documentary from Frank Simon takes a look behind the scenes, transporting the viewer into rehearsals and dressing rooms as the drag queen subculture prepares for this big national beauty contest. But as the pageant approaches, the glamorous contestants veer from camaraderie to tension. Who saw that coming? <laughs> <laughs>
1: this is the one that started it all. So this is this is uh, just like Paris is Burning a few <laughs> weeks ago. This is any other. This is a 4K restoration of um of a of a classic documentary uh, about queer life in the 20th century. But this one was up until now much harder to find. Mm. I never even heard of it until it was used in the opening credits of Transparent. So mm-hmm. if you remember in mm-hmm. the Transparent transparency credits, they showed this footage of like, of like, you know, uh, men in drag walking on a stage in a pageant setting. Those were clips from this movie. And as soon as I heard that this movie existed, I was like, well, I got to see that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just simply wasn't available. And, um, so now it is in a beautiful restoration. This movie is, it's, it's kind of, it's more of a time capsule, I would say than Paris is burning. Mm. Um, you know, it is, uh, but it is so remarkable when you think about what it is that you're actually watching. This was filmed in 1967, which was two years before Stonewall. Uh, and it was illegal in New York and, you know, many places. Um, you know, not only was it illegal to, you know, were homosexual acts illegal, but being in drag was illegal. Uh, and so we are watching all of these queer people, uh, come together and allow themselves to be filmed, Mm, mm -hmm. uh, breaking the law essentially. And, uh, and, you know, just hearing, uh, all these men, uh, talking about their lives and their families and what they hope to do someday. Uh, it is, it's just, it feels like you're, it feels like such a, a vital piece of history and it's, Almost shameful that it's taken this long for it to be available widely, but at least now it is. It's you know there's so little in the way of um a sort of like nonfiction representation of um of queer American history. Yeah, definitely. Um, and this is a massive part of it. And uh so and it just you know in in it's oh so many of the conversations in Paris is burning are happening in this film too, where there's just sort of like a general blurred line between drag and being trans, and like they're all kind of talking about like, well, would you want to have a sex change? Oh, I don't know if I want a sex change, so you will got i may I maybe. And you know, so that's that you know conversations happening then, uh and then in terms of the drag piece of it, you know, it did take me back to the Paris is Burning Review and the conversation about like, you know, well, you know, when I was coming, oh, up, the yeah, girls feathers. To be, the girls wanted to be, you know, yes, show Vegas showgirls. And and so, you know, watching this, it feels very much like sort of the showgirl era of, uh, of drag. And uh, and it is, you know, it's remarkable in, you know, we, we watch, um, you know, we see the judges for this pageant, which include Andy Warhol Um, And uh, so it's definitely just like it's very Manhattan 1967 in like the best possible way. And uh, and we also see the beginning of a conflict, like the first kind of the first known footage of a conflict that continues to wreak havoc on drag race every single season. And that is a conflict uh, between queens of color. And young, pretty, white queens who just naturally win everything, mm. <laughs> uh, because that comes to bear in this story. Uh, the uh, the queen who winds up winning is this very sort of like young, like sort of fishy, twinky little thing. Um, and then there is a queen of color who was a much more famous entertainer at the time, who has what I believe is the first ever drag meltdown
0: uh, <laughs>
1: in this movie. The end of it, um, it was a, it's a full on untucked spiral, and um, and there's a there's a connection between that and Paris is Burning because that queen is named Crystal Labesia, and she oh. founded the House of Labesia, of which Pepper Beige, uh was the reigning head come Paris is burning. Wow.
0: Back to back,
1: back to back. So, uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's just, it's, it's remarkable. You know, it's a really, it's a real short doc. It's something like it's around 70 minutes. Um, and it's, it's not, um, the sound is an issue, uh, I mean, they're basically filming this almost guerrilla style, uh, you know, so they the girls are not miked. And uh, <laughs> so it's kind of hard to make out what they're saying. But it just feels like you're just getting this amazing glimpse into this, like just this underground history of, uh, of queerness um, at a time that it was quite literally illegal. And uh, and to see, you know, what it is that it's all in the service of, which is just like this very like blah pageant.
0: <laughs> like it's, you know, like it's,
1: it's, it's still is very like it, it. it Yeah, it definitely reflects where things were at in the culture at the time uh, in the same way the Paris is Burning does. So, uh, yeah, it's just a really, really interesting time capsule and, uh, and 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 well worth a look.
0: It sounds like a great twofer um, to do a doubleheader of those two movies. Yeah,
1: it really it really truly would be
0: uh what are you giving this one
1: uh i'll give it a binge it
0: Ooh, so we have a uh consumer moderation for once upon a time we have a binge it for Forsama and a binge it for the queen that's right it's the week of the docs <laughs> um it's unrated but but, but would be rated pg-13 for thematic content that's it jason that's it thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the binge be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Spotify or whatever you're using. And thank you so much for listening. Bye, guys. Bye-bye.
1: Binging on movies with Rebecca and Jason.
0: You made it to the end, that's amazing.
1: There goes the binge.